Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Everybody. Welcome to Pit Pass Moto. It is the show that gets you up to speed on the latest in motorcycling and brings the biggest names in the motorcycle industry right to you. I'm Dave Sulecki. I'm Dale Spangler. And this week, our guest is the founder of Motormedic Racing, John Turner. This episode is brought to you by Moto America. Moto America is the home of AMA Superbike and North America's premier motorcycle road racing series with some of the best motorcycle racing on two wheels. Rewatch every round of the 2022 series and catch all the action from each race with the Moto America Live Plus video on demand streaming service. Or visit the Moto America YouTube channel for race highlights and original video content. Look for a complete 2023 schedule coming soon at MotoAmerica.com. And be sure to follow Moto America on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook for real time series updates. Well, here we are, Dave, episode 140. Can't believe it's already been 140 episodes. I think since I've been on the show now, been almost a year. We had to have done at least 50 or 60 episodes, but man, it just seems like it's going by so fast. Yeah, pretty cool. Time flies when you're having fun, and we are definitely having fun, no doubt about it. How about some fun in world supercross racing over the weekend, Dale? Did you get any of that? Yeah, I, uh, you know, once I kind of figured out it was on Fox Sports, um, I tuned in. Of course, I was on, it was, it was delayed you know, 24 hour delay. So, you know, I, I tuned in a little bit on social media to get little bites here and there. And, uh, I'd say overall, you know, I was pretty impressed, you know, like I think I was expecting there to be a little bit more, maybe some more bugs along the way. And there were, you know, I think there were some little quirks about the series that maybe probably need some, some tweaking going forward. But for the most part, I felt like I was watching, you know, like an AMA Supercross, you know, as far as how the format was, the track looked very similar albeit maybe a little bit simpler than a normal AMA Supercross track. But for the most part, it seemed like they had everything pretty dialed. Um, some of the other changes, though, like they added a Super Pole, which I thought was pretty exciting. Um, you get an, you get an extra point if you win Super Pole, so there's that. Um, it seemed like the main events, though, like the short main events, I thought that was a little hard to get used to, more like a triple crown in the United States. But I also kind of makes me think going forward, if this is going to be the format – are these riders going to be training differently? They're going to be doing more sprint fitness as opposed to that longer 20 lap type main event fitness. So definitely a lot of little changes. What, what about you? What, what are some of the observations you saw? Yeah, I think some of the pluses you, you mentioned all make sense. And to me, it didn't have the feel of an AMA Supercross. It definitely kind of had its own brand feeling to it. And they had some positive things about the program, which made sense. That three moto format with uh with no break between kind of be a little strange yeah. for the rider yeah to just pull off the track yeah. line up again and go again kind of a, like a reset so and then the you know the cadence of uh, eight laps eight laps 12 laps i think on the on the big bikes so definitely made for some action-packed racing i think we all kind of predicted it was going to be some elbows thrown and 
you know, a lot of bar banging and, and uh, some gnarly crashes over the course of the weekend. I, I was oh, really man. surprised to see uh, yeah. Chad Reed and Josh Grant both go down from the same team. and uh, Same, same di- jump. Same yeah. jump, but different problems. Uh, Grant broke a chain and Reed, I guess, had a fuel pump problem. But uh, took those two guys out of the program, which I was excited to see them race. But uh, those are the positives. For me, there are a few negatives, I guess. But, uh, you know, it's easy for us to be Monday morning quarterbacks. Yeah. Watching it. You know, a lot of work went into putting that event on. But uh, for me, I thought the track was a little bit sketchy, a little uh, slick. Uh, not a fan of steel ramps, but, you know, I guess that's their their brand. So short races, 47-second laps and. um Cardboard tough blocks are a little sketchy to me. I think that's a safety thing, but I'm funny. sure they're going to work yeah. on, you know. <laughs> cardboard. Yeah, did, I, I saw, I guess, uh, on uh, practice day, a, a rider tried to sit down on one of the tough blocks and ended up sinking into the ground and falling over backwards, but uh, not good for the riders. So if they were to crash into one of those, it just disintegrates. So, um, yeah, so uh, some positives for sure. And I'm, and I everything I'm saying has been splashed all over the internet message boards, too. And I'm sure they're going to work on trying to dial in the program as far as getting things tighter, I guess, as far as, you know, the presentation of the event. What do you think about these uh, these bike cameras? Yeah, I think it's a great idea. And I think that's what I noticed the most is they have some good ideas, you know, like the Super Pole and these cameras on the bikes. They just, unfortunately, they just were ridiculous, like 360p, you know, like vomit-inducing I mean, they're just so jittery and low quality that I don't really think it actually added to the experience. But I think the the idea is there. I think it'll be cool once they figure it out. I don't know if it's just the cameras they're using or what. I'm sure they probably have a camera sponsor. But I think the concept is there because they they can replay it from a rider's perspective, which I thought was interesting. I saw a couple of those of Chad Reed and Josh Grant when they went down, which, you know, nobody likes to see that, by the way. And, you know, these are two guys that have had an amazing career and, I don't know about you, Dave, but I can speak to the fact that like when you hit the ground at when you're 30 years old compared to when you're 40 and then when you're 50, it's a difference. I don't care if you're still in shape or not, but it's just different. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. And Chad Reed paid that price badly. I mean, a separated shoulder, some broken ribs, uh, definitely took a hard hit. I didn't uh, hear how Grant fared, but uh, that was the high profile wreckage of the weekend. I think Dean Wilson also went down and uh, he just got healthy again. So uh, interesting uh, situation for Dean. But uh, how about Eli, though, going 1-1-1? It kind of anybody might have predicted that, but it's hard to say in practice. But he had decent enough starts, and, you know, he was the fastest guy on the track. It's just been the year of Tomac, and uh, this was a good capper for the season for him. Yeah, I think it looked, to me, it looked like Tomac and Roxon was business as usual. It looked like they just picked up like they'd raced Supercross yesterday, the day before. So, I mean, it was just like they looked like they just, you know, it was routine for them. But how about your guy, though? You predicted it last week, uh, Vince Freezy. I mean, the guy, the guy's uh, with taking Tomac out of the picture as a wild card. I mean, Roxon and Freezy are the two guys that can end up with this title. So you never know. I mean, Freezy was up there. He's a good starter. I think you nailed it when you called that one. Yeah, I was uh, quite surprised to see my prediction come true. And, uh, you know, he was the best of the rest, I guess you could say, because everybody kind of thought Tomek and Roxon would would run away with this, and they did, you know, as far as total points. But, uh, yeah, Freezy was in the battles, man. Him and Brayton both, and Josh Hill surprised with the top five. So some good battling with those those top-tier riders, and then you had the rest, you know, beyond that. Uh, 
just really exciting racing, I think, all the way around. In the 250 race, I think consistency is what won that one out. So Shane McElrath taking it home for Rick Ware Racing on that Yamaha. Yeah, I think the biggest winners in this entire whole World Supercross series is, is the racers because I feel like even if you're in the U.S. series, which we'll talk about here in a little bit, the, the developments there, or in the World Supercross, I feel like all these riders got a pay raise. And so... I think it's showing you that competition is good for everybody. And in this case, it's definitely a huge, huge benefit for the privateers and some some of these like, you know, second and third tier racers where they're going to be able to make a living now with this, which is great to see. We've, I think we've all wanted to see it for quite a, you know, quite a number of years. Yeah. You're seeing names you wouldn't normally see in the top 20. So hopefully those guys are making money and uh, being prosperous. So mark your calendars. We'll have this discussion this time next year to see kind of how things play out against, uh, this uh, super motocross series that's coming up uh, their series schedule was announced over the course of the week which i thought uh, between uh, you me and the audience was very suspect timing as far as how they did it and when yeah. they did it but uh, yeah, absolutely i get it no coincidence <laughs> no coincidence whatsoever but i get it and uh, it's it's a pretty stout series it's a it's a lot of race 31 uh, races i think it is over the course of the season yeah they're going to be going so now the season's going to be now that it's all become this Feld MX Sports, they're calling it Super Motocross League, in, in quote marks here, that unifies all the unique elements of Supercross and Motocross and puts it into one. And then we have this you know, three-race playoff, which I think is pretty interesting. I mean, overall, I think it's going to be great for the sport. I mean, they're telling us they're $10 million purse, never been that high. A new five-year NBC Sports television package. So I feel like things are just going in the right direction. I also think that it's going to keep a lot of these American racers in America racing these series because, you know, after seeing the World Supercross, yeah, there's some bugs that need to be worked out. I think they'll get it together, no problem. But I also think that that put that pressure back on Feld and MX Sports to to raise their game. And we're seeing it, you know, like it's uh, the $1 million to the 450 champion next year and 500000 to a 250 champion. So that's... That's some unbelievably unheard of money besides the, you know, U.S. Open, you know, back in the day, $1 million prize. So pretty cool to see. Yeah, like Spicoli would say, man, those are righteous bucks for sure. And uh, (laughs) I I was excited to see uh, Weege and Blair got the gig. And uh, those are two good guys as far as color calling in the booth. I think that's outstanding. Those guys are always going to be good. So hats off to to those guys for for setting them up as the – the voice of SMX, which I really want to push that alliteration SMX because I cannot say super motocross. I just, it just doesn't roll off the tongue and just sound something strange. I don't know. It's just, maybe it's just me, but uh, I hope no, we start I, saying I SMX more often. So. I'm just waiting for the people to start saying super motocross, putting that R in there. You know, there's <laughs> that the faux pas we always have, you know, when you see somebody spell motocross as motocross. And so yeah, just waiting for the super motocrossers. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So this chase slash playoff format's pretty cool. You know, you get into the top 20 for the season, you get to go to the chase in the final three rounds. But I found this interesting. If you win a moto during the season, but don't make the final 20, they're going to run a last chance qualifier event to get that, you know, to get two riders to to round out the 22 for the gate. So it's interesting. You might have a guy who's a flash in the pan, wins a moto sometime in the summer. They're going to get that opportunity to uh, to participate in this uh, playoff. Yeah, it makes for interesting. I feel like because that just gives, you know, brings a lot of questions in my mind, like how are they really going to travel to Supercross for a chance to get one of those two spots? I mean, that seems like a big ask, you know, especially when you're paying your way as a privateer. But I also thought another interesting aspect about the, these playoffs is the point system. So 
evidently you get seated in. If you're the highest scoring person in the 450 class coming in, you start the triple crown with like 26 points as if you won. And then from there, first round is one, one you know, regular points. Second round, you get double the points. And in the third round, it's three times the points. So it's really going to make for, you know, an interesting three rounds at the final, you know, end of the season. And the points are going to be pretty wild. That's for sure. So I imagine that's a way to keep a guy racing both Supercross and Motocross to score the most points to roll in. Does that make sense as far as yeah. playing that out? They're definitely trying to incentivize keeping people in that series, you know? And yeah, so yeah. from what I've seen, I mean, a guy like, you know, Colt Nichols who just signed with Honda to race in the U.S. I mean, there's no reason for him to go overseas from January through October, middle of October now. So it's, you know, it's nonstop. Yeah. And uh, you're going to see the tug of war start to happen as the season evolves. And, uh, you know, the the riders either have a good season or decides partway through the season, oh, you know what, I'm just going to wait till World Supercross, sign with a team and go do that. So. I could see some of the some of the riders going that direction if they start to have a tough season. But uh, again, these are all unknowns. I think uh, this next race season is going to be very interesting how it plays out against World Supercross, which I got to expect World Supercross has got to expand their program for 2023. Yeah. I know the intention was to have three races this year. They're only going to have two, but uh, I got to think that they're going to make it a little grander than, than even three races doesn't seem like a true championship to me. I guess that's just my opinion. Yeah, it takes time. I think people just forget how long, how many years the Supercross series has been kind of grinding it out, you know, all along. So, I mean, it's an accumulation. And to just come out of the box like the World Supercross crew did, and I thought they did a pretty good job overall. Like I said, there's a lot of moving parts. You know, they'll figure out the tough boxes and, and instead of the, you know, tough blocks instead of tough boxes. They'll figure all those little details out. And same thing with the television package. And like I said, I thought it was pretty darn good for, you know, first time out of the box. And so, yeah, I think it's great. As a fan of the sport, I love it. You know, more opportunities to watch races, bring it on. Yeah, I agree. We get to actually sit and have these debates about which one was better because before we couldn't, there was no either or. So uh, this late uh, in the season, usually we're kind of dreaming about gate drops in, in January. So to be talking about live racing going on now and in November is going to be pretty cool. How about in this uh, Super Motocross series, the SMX series, they're going to return to the hallowed grounds of LA Coliseum for the final, which is, well, that's where they did the announcement when they uh, did it on October 6th. Um, I thought that was interesting and it's and it's where Supercross, you could say, technically started. So it was a pretty cool move on their part to, you know, nail down that venue and then do the announcement from there. So. Pretty yeah. cool. Did you ever get to race there, dude? I did, actually. Yeah. So way back in 1989. Yep. Show my age. Back then they had the, you know, the East-West shootout um, and they took a big break for, I don't know, 15, 20, 15 years or plus probably before they brought that East-West shootout back. But back in 89, I finished sixth in the Eastern region Supercross. So I was able to top 10, got to go to the LA Coliseum and uh, had the shootout in the LA Coliseum, jumped down the peristyle, the whole thing. And so, yeah, I think I finished 10th for the East Coast, and we won. We were the East Coast team. We won that, won the shootout. And so, yeah, that's a pretty good memory. Uh, but to go back there all these years later, pretty incredible. I mean, I think to me part of the reason is that stadium probably isn't used as much as it used to be, and so they're probably happy just to get someone to come in and pay them money to use that stadium. And so with that in mind, they're able to use the, the peristyle. They'll jump up and down you know, go in and out of the stadium, just gives them more options for this super motocross, this combined format to build kind of a hybrid track. So I think it's a perfect place for it. Like you said, there's a lot of history. 
And so, yeah, I think it's great. You know, I think it makes total sense and it's going to be fun to see. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. It's definitely going to be cool to be talking about it in October, you know, when most people are talking about baseball. So uh, pretty cool for us as uh, race fans to be able to talk about Super Motocross or SMX as I'm going to keep pounding that term yep. through everybody's head. So good stuff, man. Looking forward to it. Any other uh, fun observations you've had from the from the weekend before we get on to our interview here with John Turner? Yeah, just myself. I was able to actually get out and hit the racetrack this weekend, which was cool. I spent most of Sunday afternoon at a local track that I like to go to and nice. ride with some buddies and uh, get some laps in, get some exercise, and just absolutely perfect weather. We had about 60 degrees and the trees are turning. And God, riding in Ohio this time of year is just so cool. Definitely yeah. had fun. How about you? Did you get on the bike this uh, this last weekend? I went out went out uh, on Thursday and did a did a nice 120 mile ride, and so it was awesome. I just love it, you know, like being able to go out and just I, I pretty much just ride by myself lately. But you know, I just get out, just get some seat time in. I'm not worried about going fast, any of that stuff. I'm just you know here in Idaho, there's so much to see. It's beautiful. So man, I just get out and clear my head. So I'm loving it. But uh, a couple things I wanted to throw in real quick, though, for our listeners out there that I thought were really cool, some observations. I don't know if you saw it, Dave, but our friend of the show, Kayla Yakov, finished third place at the Yamaha R3 uh, Blue Crew European Superfinal in Portugal. She went over there. There was 25 riders between the ages of 14 and 20 that were chosen for this event, and she went over there and finished fourth and second in the two different races for third overall. So I thought that was pretty awesome to see someone from the Moto America series go over there and kick some butt. And uh, one other cool thing coming up this weekend, definitely tune in to the Red Bull Straight Rhythm at Huntington Beach State Park. I was able to go to that event a couple years ago, Dave. It was the uh, Moto Beach Classic put on by Roland Sands. Super fun event, had concerts, everything was on the beach, a bike show, art show, all kinds of really cool stuff. Well, this year they're in conjunction with the Red Bull Straight Rhythm. We're going to be seeing, you know, Plessinger, Justin Barsha, Marvin Muskan, all these top name riders on two strokes. So even cooler. So definitely see if you can tune to that this weekend because I think it's going to be some fun racing. Yeah, that is pretty cool. I think I saw something about Ken Roxon riding the YZ250. Yeah. Specially built by Whiskey Throttle, our competitive uh, uh, podcast over there, built by Mitch Payton. So uh, it'll be cool to see Kenny on a, I don't know if I've ever saw him on a, on a Yamaha, but... Uh, you know, Red Bull money, so uh, he's going to line up and go do that. That's pretty cool. Yeah, they do things right. I saw saw a video on them, how much dirt they're hauling in. And, of course, you know, with it being a straight rhythm, I think I know the spot they're doing it. They had this kind of, like, drag strip area that they used when I was there that was just guys were doing little grudge matches, and I think that's what they're going to do. And then you actually be able to stand on the beach and watch the straight rhythm. So I think it's going to be such a cool event and uh, have a feeling they found a nice home with that event going forward. Cool beans. Look forward to it always. And it'll be on TV, I imagine, too. So uh, check it out. All right. We'd like to give a warm pit pass moto welcome to John Turner. He is the owner of Motor Medic Racing in Southern California. And John, I know you're a longtime industry guy, and uh, we love having industry people on here, so it's great having you, and we appreciate you taking the time to join us today, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's, uh, I went back and, and uh, looked at some of your uh, podcasts, and it's actually a really great show, so I'm actually uh, honored to be on it. Well, thank you. We appreciate that. And uh, like I say, uh, industry people are, are, there's so many people behind the scenes that most of the motorcycling world doesn't know about. 
So I always look at this as a great opportunity to kind of showcase what they do, what their businesses are about, or what they've contributed to the to the world of motorcycling. You've been in it a long time, I know. And uh, I'm really curious to ask you first, though, before we get into your business, is how did you get started in just motorcycling in general? What kind of sunk the hook for you? Yeah, when I was younger, I was really avid uh, BMX racer. And uh, I had a big growth spurt. And one of my friends that I raced with was Tommy Brackens. And he happened to be friends with Jeremy McGrath and uh, got to ride one of uh, Jeremy's bikes back when he was riding Team Green. And I was like, well, this is a lot easier than pedaling. I like it. So that started it. That's funny. That's uh, I agree with you. It's a lot easier to twist your wrist than it is to pedal pedals. And uh, that makes sense to me. Did you get into racing at that point? You know, once I got a bike, I got the itch pretty bad. And I started racing uh, old tracks like uh, they're not even around anymore, like DeAnza Cycle Park. Um, Glen Helen, Paris Raceway, way back in the day when Gilt Brecker owned it, I would just do local races and just uh, love every minute of it. Yeah, and it's one of those things that becomes a passion after so many years of doing it. And uh, that eventually seems like it led you to the industry in some way. What kind of led you to your first, let's say, role in the in the motorcycle industry? I guess with working on them would be after I got my first bike. Um, my dad was paying some guy to fix my bike and he was really horrible. He actually took screwdrivers and a hammer to split my cases and the motor never ran. So I told my dad, you know what, dad, don't fix it. I'm going to get a book. I'm going to learn how to fix this myself. And off and running I went. So then did that lead to, I think I saw where one of your first industry jobs was uh, Malcolm Smith Motorsports. So how did you land that job? And I would imagine that probably set the hooks a little bit more as far as your interest in maybe working on motorcycles. Uh, Malcolm Smith gave me a job as a lot porter. Um, I was actually had a full-time job working in the grocery industry. I was making about 80 grand a year back then. And I hated every minute of it. And um, I got to meet Malcolm Smith. He offered me a job as a lot porter for seven bucks an hour. And I took it and quit my job. Wow. That's, <laughs> yeah. And once, once it kind of gets into you, then I feel like then it's, it's sort of over for you, at least, at least like the majority of people that are power sports enthusiasts. But then after that, so you worked at, at Malcolm Smith Motorsports and I think somehow you ended up with this awesome opportunity to work for KTM. And I think it was through Kurt Nicole. We'd love to hear a little bit more about that story. So I was, uh, working at Little Triple X and working at that race team at the time. And on the weeks off, I was doing Supermoto tires for Dunlop. And each week, I would see Kurt either at the Supercross race or I would see him at the Supermoto race with a different company. And he walked up to me one day and goes, do you ever take a day off? And I'm like, no, got to do it, man. And he goes, call me Monday. Anybody that works like you works for me. That's how I got my job. That's awesome. Well, I feel like that era that you were in back then, the the, the mid '90s, like that Moto Triple X, it just brings back so many memories. Oh yeah. And you've worked with some some pretty amazing riders from that era, like Damon Huffman. I think I read Kyle Lewis, who rode for Moto Triple X, and then another name I haven't read for quite a long time is like Johnny Marley oh, from yeah. Oklahoma. I'm like, wow, that's a name I'd completely forgotten about. So tell us about that period and what was it like working with all those top racers? You know. Just like everybody in this world, we're all different. And, um, you know, some of the guys were really cool. Some of the guys weren't so cool. But I think some of the 
watching just the progression of the Marleys, the Brian Grays, the Lichtels, um, watching all these amateur kids come through and pretty much set their own destiny was just amazing. That had to be cool, though, to be part of these young riders, you know, reaching that pinnacle and going pro. What not that pretty satisfying uh, time of working on engines for you? Oh, yeah. Even today. You got an amateur family or, or just a kid that's trying to make it or a guy that's trying to make it. Like I, uh, I work with Chris Howell, you know, David Pulley, work with a bunch of privateer guys that aren't the echelons of, of the sport, but just to have them make night shows, main events, finish as high as they've ever had, you're a part of that success in one way or another. Yeah, which is cool because, you know, it just gives you that that good feeling that you help the guy get to that level. Oh, that's what you're good for. Yeah, it's, it's what feeds your passion. And uh, I want to circle back a little bit, though, back to the Dunlop era. How long were you at Dunlop? And you said you worked in the supermoto program, so you got exposed to a lot of racers in that avenue. But how long were you there and what else did you do with Dunlop? Um, I worked for two guys that were amazing. I worked for Brock Glover and Brian Fleck. Um, I worked for those two guys for 13 years to the best people in the industry. The supermoto times were way before that. I worked for a guy named Les Washburn, and I got to meet some iconic people like Doug Henry, Jeff Ward, Miguel Duhamel. I mean, that was when we were doing X Games, at, at, and uh, people from all over the country would come to X Games and, you know, race supermoto. And I, so I got to be a lot of stars, but I got to meet a lot of, just very talented individuals. Yeah, for sure. And as Dale said, that era, I mean, just the supermoto era, which has come and gone, you know, it's kind of left us going through that was was kind of a bellwether era because there were so many big names that came through those programs. You know, when I think about the David Pingrees and the Mickey Diamonds and even Jeff Ward was racing some of those events. That was an experience like no other. Working with Factory Yamaha, Honda, like uh, Keith McCarty and all those guys, they, they were just the most uh, genuine people I could work with. We'd like to take a break from the interview right now and pay some bills. And here's a word from our sponsor. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at ArmorAll.com. ArmorAll, less work, more clean. Terms apply. So what was it then that finally pushed you in that direction of starting motor medic racing? And I think I know a little bit of the answer to that, but I'm just curious to know, you're, you're working for Dunlop, you did some time with KTM, and then at a certain point, you decide, you know, I'm going to do my own thing. And I think a lot of us have been in that situation where maybe maybe your hands forced a little bit. But, you know, what was it that kind of like finally made you decide, you know what, I'm going to do this on my own? I was working for KTM. And uh, it's one of the times when things were really lean to KTM, like around 08. Things were not that great for the industry. And um, they were doing layoffs. I was working for a manager I didn't quite care for. And um, I asked for my... Uh, for my walking papers. I had $200 in my pocket and I decided I was gonna uh, ask somebody for a 500 square foot part in the back of their building 
and start my own business. And um, many years later, here I am. That's cool. So it's kind of like that, almost like that Apple Microsoft story where you just start it in your garage type thing. And then now you've just been building it, you know, over the years. And I think you're what, you're a little over 10 years in now with your business? Oh, yeah. I've, uh, I mean, total, I'm like 15, 16. Um, started very humbly, very grateful for everything and all the customers that I have across the, the country. And I tell guys all the time, anybody can do it. You just got to be willing to sacrifice everything to get it done. Yeah. I, I tell people all the time that like, if you want to get rich, probably shouldn't go into power sports, but if you want to have a lot of fun and do something you're passionate about, it's awesome for that. So um, would you say that's kind of the case? I mean, it's definitely, obviously money's not everything, but I mean, it's like I said, if you want to want to make a lot of money, it's probably not the best place to, to, to go. <laughs> it's a love hate relationship. If you want to get rich, you know, play the stock market or I guess become a politician, but, um, when you're in this in this industry and you don't love it, you need to go find another job because this is something you do because it's in you. It's in your DNA. Yeah, and that's something I think we all kind of joke about. It's the uh, it's the industry we love, but it doesn't always love us back. It's it's a lot of sweat equity, but uh, you know, hats off to you, John. You took the risk, which you know a lot of people wouldn't take that risk. You took the risk and it and gambled and it paid off and you're and you're off and running and you've got your own business and a and a and a pretty well known one in your area as I understand. Yeah, we do pretty well. We got some um, other competition in town that they do good jobs too. And um, at the end of the day, when you have a business, uh, you got to give people a reason why to pick you. And that's the difference between some shops and other shops. If you go on reputation, hey, reputation's one thing, but. Um, relationships a whole nother. So I base mine on relationships and treating people like I want to be treated. And, um, you know, we just give the, the customer the best opportunity to succeed as possible, whether you be a racer or just an enthusiast who wants to go ride trails on the weekend. Everybody's the same. Yeah. And it makes me, you're dead right. I, when I look at the list of, of names and brands in that market space now, there's, it seems to have grown tremendously. You know, the DH1s, the Twisted, the Tom Morgans, the Pro Circuits, and on and on. It just goes on and on. It just seems to me that uh, kind of when the four-stroke era began and things took hold, we're at that point now where the average owner isn't performing even the basic of maintenance to their bikes or performance mods, and they're relying on shops like yourself to do that. Do, do you feel that's true? Does that is that uh, kind of a good characterization? I should say. Yeah, I mean, economically, for sure, you get you get guys out there that are super smart across the country. Like you said, the DH ones. Uh, I have another friend of mine who has one called uh, Origin Speed in North Carolina, and we actually collaborate together to help each other become better. That way, if a customer across the country has a problem and one of my guys, my friends can't figure it out, they'll call me. We'll network it between three or four shops and we'll get that customer handled, whether they know that or not. Well, that's an interesting aspect. I never realized that uh, that you guys kind of work hand in hand. And I, I, I know you speak to Brandon at DH1 for sure. I mean, we know we know that because of our shared relationship, but uh it's interesting, though, that uh, so many shops have grown out of that. But uh, from your mind, what's uh, what's one of the most difficult aspects of running a performance shop? Obviously, there's there's good things and bad things, but what's one of the more difficult things about owning and running a shop? 
Everybody is the next superstar and everybody wants it for free. I almost could have predicted that answer, John, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I buy it because uh, everybody uh, is an expert, I think was, was what I was going to say. Yeah, everybody knows more than I do. I don't know how I got this far, but it's all good. You know, you got to have a little bit of levity to your life in order to stay sane sometimes. Kind of makes me wonder to kind of go back to that, you know, like what Dave brought up, the point about, because I, I come from that two-stroke era too, where I, I can work, I feel like I could do a top end of my sleep on a two-stroke, but as soon as the four-stroke era came about, like, I don't want anything to do with it. I feel like that's where your real true mechanical prowess comes into play. But I feel like a lot of these people nowadays are probably intimidated to work on their four-stroke motorcycle. Would you say that's uh, kind of a reality? Yes, uh, Absolutely. And I try to I try to tell people if you just pay attention or get a, a mentor, like I have an open door policy here for, for people. If you want to learn how to work on your dirt bike, you bring your own dirt bike in here and I'll show you how to do the things you want to do free of charge because I want people to learn the craft. If we don't teach and mentor others, the craft is going to go away. Yeah, that's a that's a great point too because you know the less people working on them down the road, it's going to be that much harder to find people to work on your motorcycle. And so I think that is partly probably why there's been success of a lot of these sort of niche shops around the around the industry around the country. And it, it's it's just more technical now. Suspension is more technical. Everything is more technical these days. To where if you really truly don't know what you're doing, it's probably best to leave that to the professionals. Yeah, I mean, the electronic side of the bikes are just phenomenal now. Like, I work with Vortex Software and mapping and tuning. And the electronic side of the bikes, it's really, really gone, come a long way. I got the Dyno, the brand new uh, 2023 KTM two-strokes, the ones that are not carbureted. They're all fuel-injected now. And um, somebody did their homework. Somebody did their homework. That's interesting uh, what you said about the electronics, John, because... Now it seems that that's an avenue to tune the engine more than, I think back to the two-stroke days, like Dale mentioned, you know, you used to be able to put a pipe on or you changed the reeds or you added some compression by cutting the head or you ported it. Those were the avenues to get to change your power or move the power. And it seems like now a stock bike where you can go in and rewrite the fuel map and the, and the ignition map, you can achieve similar results without ever touching the inside of the engine. Is that true? Yeah. I mean, it depends on how you format your firmware. You can tune your bike, a stock bike, to its potential. If, uh, when you get a brand new bike, your bike is not at its best potential. You have to tune that bike. And once you start putting other things on your bike, like pipes and cams and all these other things you want to put on your bike, well, you have to start from ground zero and retune because it's, it, it affects it in, in uh, dramatic ways. And that's the nature of the beast now. It's like, you know, you got to have a little geek in you to be a mechanic, because if you don't know the electronic side, you're going to get lost. You're going to get you left in the dust. Yeah, so it's not even a matter of just, you know, bolting in a high-compression piston, bolting on a pipe, and, and expecting the best. It's you got to kind of sync up all the tuning to go with it, if that makes sense, I guess. To, uh, to get the most out of it. Everything matters. Everything matters. It's uh, from fuel to pipes. It just, it just matters. And uh, it's, uh, the data that you can pull from these bikes now, I mean, they're just small cars. That's all they are. 
Yeah, it seems that way. It's it's uh, and and when we I remember when fuel injection first came along in the four strokes, and I think a lot of us old school guys, I, I guess I can claim to be one of those, we were fearful of the technology. And now, honest to God, I don't want a bike without it. I don't want a bike without a starter. <laughs> it's just, but I'm a, you know, I'm a, I'm a senior vet rider, so I want all these conveniences. But uh, now they're second thought. It's almost like when cars went to fuel injection. I can remember back in the 1980s when it became normal. And, uh, and it's just so much better platform at the end of the day. Well, like I said, with the KTM, the, the 23s, when they brought, when I got them, I was like, where's the Kickstarter? He goes, no Kickstarter, electric start. I'm like, wow, I've gotten old, you know? I'm curious to know. So like I said earlier, I tell people if you, if you want to get rich, power sports may not be for you. But in your case, I feel like you've chosen to do what I can tell you love what you're doing. And you per- persevered in this industry that we all know can be challenging, but I feel like it's because you love helping others and you love what you do. I mean, what, is, is that a pretty accurate assessment? You know, at a certain point in everybody's career, no matter what you do, you got to identify what you're good at and what you're here for. And I figured out a long time ago, I like helping other people. So I embraced it. I immersed myself in my, in my uh, sport and my job. And that gives me uh, fulfillment. Yeah, I could tell that. I mean, I feel like that comes across too, because I've read so many, just doing the research before our show today, I read so many comments from people that just admire you uh, and your business, you know, like what you stand for and how you, how you conduct your business. So kudos to you for that. But I also want to know, is there, if there's one thing you'd like people to remember you for, uh, what would that be? No, that's easy. I'm, I'm an acquired taste, so I'm very straightforward. I'm very straightforward, so I don't wiggle. I'm straight straight ahead. You want to ask me a question? Be careful with the question you ask because I'm going to give you the answer. Yeah, don't, if you don't want to hear the answer, don't ask the question, right? <laughs> right. It may not be what you want to hear. <laughs> so do you have any uh, uh, favorite builds at the moment, um, like some racers or any special projects? I think I saw where you – had an old three-wheeler in there that you might be remodeling here soon. Yeah, the three-wheeler is going to take a backseat. We got a lot of uh, kicker arena cross stuff I'm getting ready to uh, finish up to get my guys going for that. That starts in November. Um, I got World Vet builds I got to get done for that that big race. Um, I think the most fun, coolest build I'm doing right now is I'm, uh, I got some of these billet cases for a CR500. And that fit into the 2023 450 chassis. The customer is not cutting any corners. He is going top notch with everything. And it's when it's going to be, when it's done, it's going to be amazing because um, the cases are a work of art. They're literally a work of art. And that's cool stuff because a lot of the customers are at an age now where they can afford to spare no expense and build that you know, ultimate dirt bike that they have always wanted. And that's where guys like you come in. That's pretty cool. Yeah. It's, uh, it's fun to build those because you look at it, you're like, wow, it's, I asked him, I go, why are we doing this? He goes, because I can love it. Let's go. Yeah. It's awesome. That's, that's the exact answer you want to hear for sure. So any chance, uh, you're going to throw a leg over a bike for the, uh, world vets coming up, Uh, it's out November, I think. Yeah. Um, I've been super busy. No time to train. My bike right now is a big gun exhaust, getting a, a custom exhaust put on it. They're, they're coming back into the game here pretty soon. Um, I'm going to come off the couch cold. I'll be honest with you. I'm going to come off the couch cold and uh, lay some wood on everybody and see where we, where we finish up. 
That's awesome. It never stopped any of us, right? You know, we're all fast in our minds. So uh, I, I wish you luck and uh, stay safe. That's the most important thing. And probably the most important part is have fun. That's uh, that's why we do it. And the World Vet's a great event. Just to get a bunch of old guys from all around the country, pretty good times. Yeah, that's cool stuff. Now, as we uh, wrap up here, John, I just want to take uh, the last few minutes uh, to uh, you could let our audience know where to find you, uh, either uh, on the Internet or on social media so they can look up Motor Medic and uh, get their engines built. Man, you're the guy to go to. Yeah, I'm, um, easy way to get a hold of me is Instagram. It's uh, Motor Medic Racing. That's the Instagram and that is the website. And, uh, you know, we try to accommodate everyone. We're here in Southern California where there's a lot of like a lot of people to choose from. But um, hopefully I can be your choice and uh, make you smile. Absolutely, folks. Check him out. He is John Turner, owner of Motor Medic Racing. And John, really appreciate you taking the time to spend with us today, man. It's been great talking to you. You too, guys. Thank you. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to follow Pit Pass Moto on your favorite podcast app so you never miss an episode. If you have a moment, please rate and review our show. We'd really appreciate it. You can also follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, and visit pitpassmoto.com where you can check out our blog, listen to past episodes, and purchase your own Pit Pass Moto swag. This has been a production of Evergreen Podcasts. A special thank you to Tommy Boy Halverson and the production team at Wessler Media. I'm Dale Spangler. And I'm Dave Sulecki. See you next week on Pit Pass Moto. Hi, listeners. We wanted to take a moment to tell you about another podcast from Evergreen Podcasts and Sound Talent Media called Pit Lane Parlay. Pit Lane Parlay is the go-to podcast for IndyCar and motorsports-related news. Each episode, we discuss things like our favorite drivers, news clips from the last week, and generally giving each other a hard time about predictions we've made in the past and or life stories that have come up recently. We really have a lot of fun with it and really enjoy each other's company, and we hope you can come join us too. Join Pit Lane Parlay by following us on your favorite podcast today.